children, it's time to go to junior worship. Let's uh, sing them out with, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Well, good morning. If you've ever wondered what 10,000 pieces of candy look like in one place, this is what it looks like. 10,000 pieces of candy all bagged up, a whole bunch of jelly beans right over here, and we stand ready. But remember the, yeah, round of applause. You know, we have it on the uh, candy thermometer over here showing the uh, 1,200 pounds uh, of candy so that we'll know. Hey, you know what? Back in the, uh, back in the day when we were getting 2,000 pounds, we had around 400 people showing up on Sunday morning. You guys have done a great job of making the miracle of the candy happen. You know, uh, also... Uh, I just can't wait to see the crowd tomorrow night. Can you, can you believe that we get to invite the neighborhood here? And along with that, we have a great responsibility. And so what we want to talk about is embracing the truth today. And as we talk about embracing the truth, uh, I, want, I want you to know there are two things that you can trust. First of all, the word of God is true. The word of God has been handed down from uh, time eternal to us today in a very good manner, a very precise manner, so that we can actually respect it and know that it is true. But more than that, what the Bible has taught us uh, through all 66 books uh, from the beginning to the end of Revelation is that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. And that's going to be the, the most important thing for you to take home today from this message. There are going to be naysayers in this world that are going to tell you that, uh, that there are going to be many ways to get to heaven. We're going to propose today that there is one way to the Father. So as we seek to reach out, and we are seeking to reach out this week in a big manner, we must know what we believe, and we must express it with confidence. We can't be mamby-pamby about it. We can't be willy-nilly. we got to know what we believe. We have to look people in the eye and tell them that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and that Jesus rules our lives. We have to be that that confident in it. Now, as we are doing that, how do we do that? Well, I believe we must use the Word of God to live the life that God wants us to. 
the Word of God. We should reflect on the Word of God, read the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God so that we know what direction God wants us to go. Now, is there scripture that actually backs that up? Because when we do something, uh, and as we live out our lives, we do want it to be predicated on the fact that it is guided by something more than just my feelings. The Apostle Paul, as he was in his last days, as he was getting ready to, to go home to our Lord, sent a letter to Timothy, and that book is 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4, he said this, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Listen to that, folks. That is, that is where we live today. That is where the world has been for 2,000 years. As we look at this, also, what I want to actually uh, just fast forward real quick to this. In John 14, 6 and 7, it says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen me. To have seen Jesus, to know Jesus, is to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. See, John 14, 6 presents a comprehensive case for the uniqueness of Christ in that as the way he is unique because only through him and his work we find salvation. As the truth, he is unique because he is also the absolute truth. And although other ideologies may have truth, Jesus is an absolute truth. Are you with me on that? An absolute truth. We've got to understand that there are truths out there, but then there are absolute truths that are undeniable. Also, as the life, he opens the way for us to experience life to the full. This is what God made us for. And it is the only completely fulfilling life that we can have. That's what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings in class. Is that if you really want the fulfilling life, if you really want the good life in this world, your conscience needs to be guided by Scripture. The Word of God has to point you in the right direction for you to live. As we think about that, so... How do we actually get to the information that we need so that we can live a God-guided life? I mean, you want to hear, so hear words? These are words I believe that uh, in the past have, have caused me to go to sleep, but I think it's words that we need to hear. The two words, Christian doctrine. Think about Christian doctrine. Now, what is Christian doctrine? It is core teachings of the Bible, which represent the absolute truth expressed by God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. These teachings are the ultimate determinant of how we live, how we act, and how we worship. 
That's what Christian doctrine is. And so when I say Christian doctrine, very pregnant term, very expanding term here, so that you can understand that it is what we need to know. You see, as God followers, we can only understand reality through the lens of Scripture, which God has handed us through multiple writers over multiple centuries. And we must also understand that these teachings, now get this, these teachings transcend cultures, transcend race, transcend gender, and transcend nationality. He's written us material from a Middle Eastern culture that goes to everybody. It's information that everybody can use to live so they can live side by side in peace and in harmony. So the question, the question before us today is simply this. Does doctrine matter? Does doctrine matter to us? And we have to explore that. We have to know, okay, if it does matter, what does that mean? Or if it doesn't matter, hey, you know what, let's, uh, let's go to lunch, right? So doctrine matters. Uh, I'm going to say that. Doctrine matters. Understanding the core teachings of what you need to know is important for you. You see, what we believe matters to God because he is the one who inspired these words that make up our teaching. God handed these down. God breathed these out. We take them in, and we actually have to do something with them. They should change our lives. As we are listening to Scripture being preached, as we hear the Word of God read, as we read it ourselves, it should be affecting our lives. Uh, as Gary might say, it should tear us up. It should, we should be torn up from the floor up. Are you with me? Scripture should change your life and how you act. So what we believe matters because we believe uh, what we believe determines how we live, love, and reach out to other people. Scripture is taking us in the direction that God wants us to go. So what we believe matters because the whole world is watching to see if we live like we say we believe. How about that? You see, everybody's watching Christians. And what you're going to hear, what people say, I don't want to be a part of that church because I see how those people live. Those people, now can you imagine, do you want to be one of those people? Those people don't live like they say they should. They, they say one thing, they live another. So doctrine matters. We have to have a standard and then live by it. I will say this, there are many doctrines that matter, but today we're going to look at four doctrines that do matter for us. And I think it's important to understand uh, that, that we could be here uh, ad infinitum uh, as we look at the teachings of the Bible, but here we go, we're going we're gonna to launch off into this. first thing I want to do as we preface this is the price paid to purchase our forgiveness was the greatest sacrifice in history. The idea of the cross is what has led us to who we are, what we believe, and what we stand for. 
And as we talk about this, this price that was paid for our forgiveness, it takes us, it, we land in Romans 5.8. You see, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to tell you that is, to me, something that is, first of all, it's appealing, but the second thing is it saddens me because I sinned and Jesus had to die. So the life and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's one and only unique son, is what saves us. The depth of God's love can be seen in blood and the brutality of the cross. It leads us to an understanding of his great love. You see, the cross of Jesus is the centerpiece of our salvation and the heart of biblical faith. Doctrine number one, if you want to write this down. God's love for us is greater than we can comprehend. It's greater than we comprehend. We can't really understand the riches and the depths of his wonderful love for us. You see, as we look at this price that was paid, what we understand is that the church must hang on the cross of Calvary. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we believe is actually founded in the cross of Calvary. And it's a system that is based on uh, looking at the grace of God founded in the corruption and the brutality of man. And that, my friends, is hard for us to wrap our heads around. You see, though, where we've landed in 21st century culture, though, is in a menu-based religion, and we are at a constant battle with it. Because we have Christians today that are saying the cross is barbaric, that, that surely God would never really have sent his son to the cross because the ultimate torture uh, and brutality of it. Some Christians today even say that God sending the Jesus to the cross is relational abuse. Look how he treated his child. Then there are some Christians today that believe that we can pick and choose what we believe. We can actually go to the menu of all the beliefs uh, in all of the world, and we can pick them out one at a time and say, this is good, good for me, good for me, good for me. What we have to understand, though, is God set up a sacrificial system for powerful and graphic reasons that pointed us ultimately to the cross where Jesus was crucified for our sins. God purposely sent Jesus to the cross. He purposely had him beaten before the cross. He wanted us to understand that the blood was real that was on the cross that actually is payment for our sins that make us white as snow. You see, God foreshadowed the redemptive plan that was to come with the Son. You see, it didn't just happen uh, in A.D. 33, when Jesus was 33 years old, we can go back 750 years and go to the time of Isaiah and look at Isaiah 52 and 53, 
and actually have the full account of the cross explained to us. God set forth action in motion for the redemption of mankind. You see, the word of God teaches that the sacrifice of Jesus was necessary for our salvation. We can't go to the menu and discard things. We have to believe what the Bible says. We have to read and understand it and be willing to take it in. Again, Romans 5, 8 through 10. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The cross is necessary. Why? So that we can be justified and so that we will not experience the wrath of God. Who in here wants to experience the full wrath of God today? No? No one? Okay. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're with me there. Notice this. In this, it says, while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, while we were still opposed to Jesus, while we were still at war with God, God was doing it anyway. God was moving forward with his plan. You see, God's plan is marching on, and we are saved from the wrath of God in spite of ourselves. We are going to be looking for sin. The easiest way to deal with sin my friends, is to yield to it. Oh, you, did you catch that? It's not the best way to, to deal with sin. It's the easiest. God saves us from us. And we need to be saved from ourselves, right? If we're left to our own devices, we are going to mess things up big. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 says this, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The death, burial, and resurrection has to be something that we believe in. We can't believe in the swoon theory or some, uh, some other way for Jesus to come out of the empty tomb there, we have to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is him dying for our sins and then showing us that death no longer has victory over us. Death's, death's sting has been put away. Again, three important things to know. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was resurrected. Can I get an amen there? Okay, he, he died. He was buried. He was resurrected. No more power over death. If we believe in Jesus, we are going to be raised with God. You know, there are other evidences of his great love. Hebrews 9, 15 through 16. Gary, you know this one well, I'm sure. For this reason, he is the mediator of our new covenant. So that since the death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. He is the mediator. 
He is the go-between. He is the attorney. He is the one that is, is uh, uh, speaking on our behalf to God. We need someone to actually represent us before God because if we're left to our own words, our own words are not going to penetrate up to God. God is looking for Jesus to interpret for us and bring the case for us so that we can be saved. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust having put to death in the flesh, but then we are made alive in the Spirit. God makes us alive in a spiritual awakening upon baptism. He brings us into newness of life for a life to live for him. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Again, this is a plan. This is not plan B. This is plan A. God loved us so much that he propelled, he actually put Jesus out there to atone for our sin. I know it's a long time coming, folks, but doctrine number two is this. And it's simple. People are lost without Jesus. You catch that? People are lost without Jesus. There's going to be a lot of, of arguments in the world about how you get there and what the paths are toward eternal life. But folks, if you don't have Jesus involved in that process, things are going to go wrong for you. And that happens because the idea of lostness has been lost. Today, many people choose to reject the term lost and the idea that people need Jesus for salvation. It's too harsh of an idea. Uh, you know what? A, a good person, a good God, would not actually be so harsh on people. Folks, God would harsh your mellow. He would. God would, would actually uh, do things to turn you around. God will use the two-by-four of life to hit you upside the head to make you go in the right direction. You see, the universalist idea that is creeping into Christian churches is that all religions are equally valid and lead to salvation. Folks, if they're not based on Scripture, if they are not based on the Word of God, if they are not God-breathed, if they are not God's Word, they're just not right. Many believe that religious diversity of the world is unique to our time period and that we must conform and to yield in our perspective of the all-powerful God. What, what people are saying today is that this is a different and unique time in the world and we have such great thoughts and great uh, mental capacities today that we have superseded all generations and religious thinking needs to change and actually uh, conform to us today. I think Nick has a theological term for this, hogwash. You see, 
want to let you know right now, the Bible completely rejects this idea. The Bible does not condone us puffing ourselves up, putting us out before everyone as, as the greatest, latest thinkers. God is the great thinker. God is uh, majestic. God is king. God is the ruler. God is the one who actually put everything into motion and keeps everything going. To show you that it's been going on a long time, Acts 17, 22, uh, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are, are, you are very religious in all respects. You see, he's looking around at the Areopagus, and all the gods of the, that are known in the world uh, have a presentation there on top of this hill in the Areopagus. And Paul, as he's looking around, says, For while I was passing through and examining these objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this is what I proclaim to you. The idea that they had was they wanted to cover all the bases. And what Paul is saying here is, is that the one that you are saying is unknown is actually the truth. That is the one that you should be worshiping. But you see what the God of Israel taught his people was they were to worship him alone. The first two of the Ten Commandments emphasize fidelity in worship. The Bible teaches unapologetically that there is only one way to God. In Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3, he says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God says there is one, and he has three essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is God. Doctrine number three. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. We have to come to grips with the fact that salvation is in Jesus Christ only. A writer said this, no matter what the rest of the world might say, as followers of Christ, we can confidently believe and proclaim that salvation is found in his name. We have to be able to believe that Jesus is where salvation is birthed. Acts 16 and 30, the question is asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is what the answer was. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And as they spoke the word to him together with all this house, he took them to the very hour of night and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized. He and all his household and he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly in God with his whole household. What must I do to be saved? The question is asked, and this isn't the only time this is asked in the Bible, and it's answered similarly every time, but here, here it is, folks. If you're here today and you're wondering what it's going to take for you to be saved, 
Here is the answer. What must I do to be saved? First of all, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about a, a mental assent, assent a, a momentary uh, grasp of a, uh, a subject. We're talking about belief. We're talking about have faith, uh, putting all your stock, your stock into it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, be baptized. Romans 6 is going to tell us to go down into the watery grave of baptism so that we can be resurrected into newness of life. Now, I like the third one here uh, that they have here. It's celebrate. They did this, and then they worshiped. You see people come up out of the baptistry. They've been washed clean from their sins, and they are rejoicing because the burden of, of death, spiritual death, has been lifted, and their souls have been freed. Celebrate. Acts 2, 20 and 21. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day, uh, day of the Lord shall come and it shall be everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to accept him as the Christ. You have to accept him as what the church is built upon. Romans 10, 11 through 13 says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, it's, it's obvious. If you call on the name of the Lord and you are baptized uh, and you follow after him, you are going to be saved. See, folks, what we can say today, unapologetically, that we can say with full force is that Jesus is the only Savior, that Jesus is the only unique way to relationship with the Father. It's undeniable. It's uncontrovertible. Uh, it is a fact. But as we live in today's culture, as we live around our neighbors, and as we watch TV and as we listen to podcasts and all this, I have a question for you. Does the term lost make you feel uncomfortable? The idea that you may be actually uh, looking at someone as less than you because maybe they don't believe what you believe. You see, today I believe that because of the propaganda of the information that is flowing in and pressuring us, I believe we are uncomfortable with the pronouncement of eternal lostness on other people. It's uncomfortable to let people know that they're lost. We are also uncomfortable with the idea that friends and family could be lost. And what we will do many times is try to make excuses for friends and family to get and squeak by into the kingdom of God. But we can't be uncomfortable with it. We have to look at what scriptures say, make a determination, and let God actually be the judge. After all, it's not going to be our decision. But the fact of the matter is, 
the scriptures are out there and we can be comfortable with other people being lost because God is comfortable with it. You see, Jesus is the only way. We can't be led to believe that the offer of Jesus is just a better earthly existence only. Jesus is offering a life in a realm that is hard for us to understand. We can't just believe that that belief in Jesus is going to cause a better life and it's not going to have an eternal consequence to it. We can't let that, it's, that's just not, uh, that's not, uh, that's wrong-headed completely. You see, Jesus is talking about a forever existence, an eternity with God in heaven. He's not talking about what goes on here, but, but there, in the there and then. You see, we cannot undermine this doctrine. It is very core of what God wants us to know, to claim, and proclaim. I know you've been wanting to get here. Doctrine number four. Doctrine number four is pretty simple. And I'm going to just say it outright. Heaven and hell are real. Heaven and hell are real. We have to be able to proclaim that to our friends, families, acquaintances, anybody that you talk to, let them know that this idea of heaven and hell are real and that people are going to go to one or the other. C.S. Lewis said this, you have never met a mere mortal. Every person we meet will live forever. The question for each of us is whether we will dwell in the presence of a loving God who paid the price for our sins and invited us to come to him uh, through the amazing grace of Jesus or spend eternity separated from God in hell. It's our choice. It's a choice we have to make. Also, declaring that hell does not exist or taking an agnostic posture on this doctrine doesn't make the reality of hell any less certain. I can personally tell you uh, to your face that hell doesn't exist, but the fact of the matter, if you die and you haven't believed in Jesus, you can still go to hell. What I believe doesn't matter. What the Bible says is what matters. And, and I wonder if the Bible actually speaks on this subject. Matthew 5, 22 and 23 says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. That's red letters, folks. That's Jesus talking. Luke 12, 5 and 6. But I still warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. Red letters, folks. Mark 9, 43 through 47. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell, into the 
unquenchable fire. Whether their worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two fa- uh, feet and to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. You can only guess who said that. You see, who is speaking about hell in these previous passages? Jesus. Jesus is telling us that hell is a reality. Hell is a reality, folks, and we have to come to grips with it. Uh, Just because it is distasteful in 21st century culture doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. The Bible tells you that it exists. The doctrine that people are lost without Jesus is certainly not the only doctrine of the Christian faith, but it is an essential teaching of Jesus. You see, Jesus taught that hell is real and real people spend eternity there. You see, if we love people, our heart should push us to outreach. I'm an outreach minister, okay? I'm going to have to get my shameless plugs in here from time to time. You know, the reason all this candy is out here is that we want to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Do we want to introduce them to Jesus Christ just because uh, we need more friends in this world? Well, maybe, but the fact of the matter is, is I'm concerned that they're going to hell, that their souls are going to end in that uh, descriptive state of being with an unquenchable fire. See, if we believe that there is a real heaven and hell, we should be moved to evangelize and reach out in the name of Jesus. I'm going to quote a great philosopher of this time period, a guy by the name of Ken Gilliatt of Penn and Teller. He's a magician and a comedian. He said this, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. See, Penn is an atheist. Penn doesn't believe, he believes that it is, uh, that Christianity is a bunch of garbage. That is just uh, something that clouds people's minds. But, but notice what he has to say about us that say we believe and then don't act on it. Just because it's socially awkward. So my question this morning is, Do you believe there is a heaven and a hell? Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that there is a heaven and a hell? In concluding his statement, he says, uh, what I said previously, an atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, 
how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? See, folks, we have the truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. It's also said in the Bible that every knee should bow and every knee should bend, and we should proclaim and believe that Jesus is Lord. Christ died for our sins. Christ wants us to atone for our sins by believing in him and being baptized. Go down into the watery grave of baptism. Come up into newness of life. Folks, the battle is real. Folks, tomorrow, tomorrow night, we are going to have over a thousand guests march around our building. We're going to be giving them smiles, and we're going to be giving them candies. We're going to give them. Uh, we're going to offer them prayer. We're going to offer them Bibles. We are going to offer them a way out of the muck and mire of this world. What we want to do, folks, is is introduce them to Jesus and, let Je and then let Jesus do his mighty work. It is only by Jesus doing his work that salvation can happen. We're going to have a song here, and if you haven't believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but would like to do so today, you can come down front. You can make that confession. If you're ready to be baptized, we have uh, uh, some cold water for you. It's right back here behind me, and we would, we would love to go in that watery grave of baptism with you uh, and, and feel that and see and experience you actually get newness of life. But also, also maybe you have deferred your blessing of other people by not telling them about Jesus. But now you know that you need to. But you need prayers to have that courage. Gary's going to lead us in song. If you have any need, please come as we do stand and sing.